It seems like everyone and their brother is announcing their picks for book of the year, album of the year, or movie of the year, and the movie is Star Wars. The Royal Statistical Society has just announced its statistics of the year. They range from statistics about poverty or life expectancy to those centered upon environmental issues and car crashes. The RSS's statistics of the year are the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me in the studio are regular panelists, John Baylor, Chair of Miami Statistics Department, and Richard Campbell of Media, Journalism, and Film. Our guest today is Ian Wilton. Wilton is Director of Policy and Public Affairs at RSS and helps coordinate the selection of winners for the Statistic of the Year contest. Ian, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. I'm just going to ask, before we start talking about who won, why does the RSS do this? Well, I think we basically took inspiration from some of the other organizations that you mentioned. Um, in particular, the Stats of the Year uh, idea was really developed initially by Hitan Shah, who's the executive director of the, uh, the Royal Statistical Society. And I think Hitan is, is quite open. He was um, inspired by what the Oxford English Dictionary does when it announces uh. its word of the year. Um, and so we've basically taken inspiration from that. We now announce uh, every December the RSS's statistics of the year. And uh, a bonus this year, as we're in 2019, we're doing uh, statistics of the decade as well to take us up to the end of the 2019 period. Can you just talk a little bit about the, cri the criterion that you use for, for identifying this and, and who you have as judges for it? Yeah, there aren't really a, a set of firm criteria. We, one of the things we say is that ideally the uh, figures that we, we put out there are ones that will capture the zeitgeist of the year. Uh, sometimes we think there are also figures that are really, really important, but which haven't really been uh, given the attention they deserve. So by naming them as a, a winning or a commended statistic of the year, we can give them the, the profile that we think they warrant. And as far as the judges are concerned, uh, the panel is now chaired by Professor Jen Rogers, who is a vice president of the, uh, the Royal Statistical Society. And we have some very uh, eminent judges supporting Jen, sort of invidious really to, to single people out. But um, off the top of my head, for example, there is Dame Jill Matheson, who is a former UK uh, national statistician. And we also have Professor Roland Gare, who's an environmental statistician from the University of California, Santa Barbara. And one of the reasons why Roland was invited to, to join the panel was that his research uh, threw up the figure that was named as the International Statistic of the Year last year. So picking up on that, and because we wanted to, to strengthen the panel's uh, non-UK credentials and strengthen its environmental credentials, we invited uh, Professor Gare to join us. Oh, that's great. We, we were also very excited to see that three of your judges were, have been uh, guests on <laughs> Stats and Stories. That, so we're, we're, we're thinking you have good taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Three down, seven to go, I think. <laughs> so could you talk about what the International Statistic of the Year is since you brought up uh, uh, Roland as one of the judges? Yes, the International Statistic of the Year is 72.6 years. And that is because that is now the estimated global average life expectancy across the world as a whole for uh, people born in 2019. Uh, we think that's a really important figure in itself. It's a, a record high figure, uh, but also it was chosen because certainly if you're based in London as I am, I think if you read anything in the media about life expectancy, it tends to be something about 
declining life expectancy in the United States or stalling life expectancy in the UK. And so the judges like this figure because it basically you know, looks beyond the US, looks beyond the UK, uh, looks at the world as a whole. And what is happening globally is very different to what's happening in the US and the UK. So uh, hence they chose this you know, record high figure, 72.6 years, as their winning international statistic of the year. Can you also let us know about the UK statistic of the year, what, what that was yeah. and uh, how that was determined? Yeah, the UK statistic of the year is, is possibly the slightly grimmer one than the uh, international <laughs> uh, uh, It is 58%, and that is the proportion of those in relative poverty who live in a working household in the UK. And I think the reason why that was the ultimate pick of the, uh, the judging panel was because um, I think there's been a big shift in terms of the debate about poverty in the UK over the last 10, 20 years. 20 years ago, the big, big challenge was seen to be uh, poverty as a result of unemployment. Uh, that situation has changed, thankfully, with you know um, the record high employment rate and unemployment in the UK having fallen very markedly over recent times. Uh, but what this figure shows is that you know while the problem of unemployment is less big than it was before, it's been replaced by the problem of in-work poverty. Mm -hmm. So it shows how you know, different welfare challenges arise at different times. And once you maybe think you've, you've cracked one fundamental welfare problem, it's quite, li quite likely that another one is going to arise, so you need to start tackling that one. So in a sense, it's a, a sign that you can never rest easy. And if you're tackling you know, one problem from yesteryear, a new one is, a, is arising that you need to address. So I was curious with that. I mean, we've talked to some folks from official statistics who, who talk about the, the challenges in trying to measure things. So and part of that is definition. So could, do you have kind of a little background about how relative poverty was defined or what is a working household? Um, I couldn't really go into that in huge detail, but uh, obviously when a figure is chosen by the judges, it's already gone through uh, quite a process before it reaches them. And then we have about two weeks after the, the judging meeting itself and we go out and we work with a number of people to do real uh, due diligence on the figures that the, the judges have favoured. And this one ultimately made the cuts because it was felt that the figures were not only uh, incisive but very, very robust. Uh, the 58% figure comes from the Institute of Fiscal Studies in the UK, which is a very, very highly regarded uh, independent think tank. And in turn, the IFS based its calculations on official figures from the UK's Department for Work and Pension. So uh, the figures were, as I say, went through a big, big uh, process sure. of due diligence. They were felt to be both incisive uh, and robust, and they were looked at by you know a number of experts in the field. And the RSS has a network of what we call statistical ambassadors, uh -huh. and one of our ambassadors in particular is incredibly good at, at giving up a lot of time to go through all the figures that are in the, the final mix, if you like, and uh, he checks them out to make sure that we you know, can indeed safely issue them as commended or winning statistics uh, from the RSS. I was interested in one of the statistics that was commended, the one from the University of Virginia on women car passengers wearing seatbelts, uh, more likely to be seriously injured than men. Could you talk a little mm. bit about that one? Yeah, that's a really interesting figure. And I think it first came to our attention as a result of a you know very uh, highly regarded and I think popular book by Caroline Criado Perez called um, Invisible Women, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. And this was, I think, one of the standout figures from her book. 
And when we sort of dug into it a little bit deeper, we discovered that the, the sort of key figures had actually been produced by a team at the University of Virginia. And they found uh, that women are, off the top of my head, 73% more likely to be seriously injured uh, than men are in a frontal car crash. Um, so I think the judges chose that because there have been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of focus, for example, in the UK this year on things like the gender pay gap that's had a tremendous amount of attention. Um, but this showed that there are some other you know fundamental issues uh, beneath that, and in particular, you know, 73% uh, figure, um, you know, between women's risk of serious injury and men's risk of serious mm -hmm. injury. That was felt to be a very, very striking one. And certainly when you read um, Caroline's book, uh, she goes into some of the reasons for that, including the fact that uh, car safety is often designed around uh, crash test dummies that are based on the, the male anatomy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we did some further work on that and discovered actually that the not only is you know that a problem in itself, but the sort of template for the crash test dummy is not just you know male rather than uh, male or female. It's a male from I think about the 1970s when <laughs> crash dummies first started to be used. So the uh, the size of the typical male crash test dummy is now wrong basically. Huh. Uh, yes, a lot bigger uh, over the intervening period. Um, and so yeah, the the. Uh, the design of the crash test dummies doesn't help uh, both size-wise, but particularly being uh, based on the male rather than the female anatomy. You know, with the international stat of the year, I, I thought it was striking in the press release to, to see that the average life expectancy at birth was 45.7 years in 1950 and has gone up to 72.6 years mm -hmm. in the most recent report. Yeah, I, was, I was amazed by that, uh, and we had some stuff in the press release about that. and I. Uh, just thought, wow, that is such a big increase yeah. year after year after year on average that I, uh, you know, I did the maths, I checked it out myself, and was obviously reassured that it was true, um, but was also amazed by the fact that the increase has been so sharp over that period. So mm -hmm. yeah, it is an extraordinary increase, and hopefully, being named as the statistic of the year, that will help to to get it a bit more of the attention that we think it deserves. Ian, you've been doing this for several years now. What has the reception to the stat of the year been um, after you guys have been announcing it? I think the the most extraordinary uh, time we had was last year when a figure on plastic waste was named as the uh, yes. International Statistic of the Year. That's the one based on Roland Geyer's uh, research and research of the team that he led. And that really did seem to, to strike a chord with people. There have been a lot of... Um, stuff on television in the UK that year about uh, plastic in the oceans, particularly the um, Blue Planet series. Uh, and that really did seem to strike a chord. And that um, the statistic we named as last year's stat of the year, that uh, just got so much coverage all over the world. Indeed, our media monitoring service was you know, still picking up references to it only about a month ago uh, in all kinds of unlikely places. And one of the satisfying things about it was that it did have, in a small way, it had a bit of real-world impact um, because we heard about an Australian businessman who had been uh, inspired by the stat that we announced. And he'd been thinking of setting up a, a mineral water business in Australia. And he decided to do that. And his USP was that he would sell mineral water not in plastic bottles, 
but I did sell it in cans, knowing that the cans oh, wow. were very likely to be recycled oh. in a way that probably wouldn't happen with the bottles. So there is now a business in Australia called Wallaby Water. And <laughs> look on the side of the can, it basically says this is inspired uh, by the RSS's statistic oh. of the year. Oh, that is well, that's great. Cool. Uh, also, and, um, and I just noticed in, in the UK, in a, a supermarket here recently, for the first time ever, you know, going to buy some buy some water. Uh, I've managed to buy it in a can rather than a bottle, so I thought that was uh, that was a fantastic um, example of how you know these statistics that we put out there can actually lead to real world changes in behaviour. So uh, that was really satisfying. Uh, RSS also, you won an award for this campaign from last year, right? Two thousand eighteen. Um, talk yeah, well, talk about that campaigning on a shoestring. So, uh, yes, it's an organization called Memcom, which brings together a lot of uh, membership organizations across the UK. Uh, they have their annual awards, a whole range of categories. Um, and they have a category called Campaign on a Shoestring. And Statistic of the Year won that last time around. Uh, and it was great. It was a double for us because we'd won the awards the previous year as well for, mm -hmm. for a, a political lobbying campaign we'd yes. done to basically prevent government ministers and their spin doctors from having... Uh, a privileged advance access to government statistics, particularly market-sensitive government statistics. Uh, they had had that access for a long time before our campaign, and our campaign basically well, it probably achieved about 90% of what we wanted. So those people no longer get that privileged uh, advance access mm -hmm. to market-sensitive official stats. Could you just, just talk a little bit about some of the other highly commended entries? Uh, you've mentioned yeah. uh, the uh, rate with um, front seat passengers for women who are uh, with seatbelts in the front seat, uh, mm. uh, um, the other, the other, there were, there were some others related to pollution, some related to infant to under five child mortality, some mm. others related to sugar content and hybrid. So, could you just give a quick r rundown of those? Yeah, sure. I think probably of the various highly commenders, the one that is closest to my heart is the one about the record level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, because that is just such a fundamentally important issue. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, the relevant observatory in Hawaii, uh, for the first time, registered uh, CO2 concentration in the atmosphere at uh, 415.26 parts per million. So that is one of our commended statistics of the year. And I was actually really struck when I saw the, the comments that uh, Roland Gare put in, the, put in the press release on that. He said, you know, this... Uh, Quote from him exactly said this statistic is important is as important as it is terrifying. Mm. Uh, so I think it's really, you know, um, something we absolutely need to take account of. If you have someone like him saying this is a terrifying level of CO2 in the atmosphere, uh, it really should concentrate people's minds and make them think about, you know, what governments can do to tackle this problem, but also what you can do on an individual basis to help address it as well. So that I think is maybe I think that, uh, the most important of our highly commended uh, statistics of the year, there's one on declining child mortality rates, and I think a bit like the one on life expectancy. Mm -hmm. That shows how a lot of things are improving slowly, or maybe not slowly, but steadily year on year uh, across the world as a whole, something we don't maybe focus on sufficiently. And the two UK highly commended statistics this year, uh, one is about um, how electric and hybrid cars in the UK have managed to capture a, a record market share. So they now account for the first time for more than 10% of new vehicle registrations. So that does show that you know, gradually uh, electric and hybrid cars are becoming you know, mainstream choices for uh, UK vehicle buyers. 
And the final UK uh, commended statistic is minus 28.8%. And this basically shows the effectiveness of a so-called syntax, um, because uh, a few years ago, the government announced it was going to start um, putting a tax on particularly sugary drinks. And it's actually worked very well, because um, consumers themselves are moving from the sort of particularly highly sugared drinks to less sugary ones. And a lot of the manufacturers have reformulated their drinks. They've obviously tried to keep the taste as uh, similar as they possibly can, but they've done a reformulation so there is less sugar in their product, so they don't have to pay this uh, sugar levy. And so it does show you that you know, on occasion, syntaxes can produce uh, quite significant changes in behavior. So uh, yeah, UK uh, soft drinks are now much less sugary than they were before. Uh, but if you look at other areas such as breakfast cereals, the progress there where there's been a sort of voluntary approach in conjunction with uh, manufacturers, um, progress there has been much more glacial. Mm. Uh, so it's interesting to see that um, certainly as far as the, the sugar tax is concerned, that does seem to have um, produced the desired results in uh, making soft drinks in the UK much less sugary than before. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking with Ian Wilton, Director of Policy and Public Affairs at RSS. Now, Ian, I know in addition to this year's Statistics of the Year, RSS uh, is announcing uh, Statistics of the Decade, and I wondered if you could take a moment to explain why you decided to choose Statistics for the Decade and what the International Statistic of the Decade is. Yes, yeah, Statistic of the Decade is, uh, I can be absolutely honest with you, it's, uh, it was an in-the-shower moment. I was just, <laughs> uh, and, uh, it suddenly occurred to me that, okay, we're in 2019, so not only can we do Statistic of the Year, but we can do Statistic of the Decade, covering the period 2010 to the end of 2019. So it's a, basically a way of us getting more bang from the, uh, the buck, if you like, uh, having two opportunities to, to put our favorite statistics out there. Uh, with just a few days in between. So uh, we're complementing the stats of the year with a whole set of uh, winning and commended statistics of the decade. And if you'd like me to give you the winner of international... We, we should have a drum roll now, yeah. shouldn't we? I can't uh, do that on the air. Yeah. Can you do that? There we go. <laughs> Uh, in fact, there's a big contrast, just, just to prolong the tension, there's a big contrast between the size of the international winner, uh, which is very big, and the size of the UK winner, which is very, very small. So here we go. The winner for International Statistic of the Year is 8.4 million, and that is the estimated accumulated area of the Amazon that has been deforested over the past 10 years, and that area is equivalent to around 8.4 million football pitches. Oh, and just to give you a bit of extra detail on that, those aren't small football pitches. The football pitches, um, we've taken the measurement from the relevant FIFA regulations, mm. and the measurement is that we've used basically is uh, the, the equivalent of the playing area that you get in most of the English Premier League. So, for example, the dimensions that we've used um, represent the size of the pitch at the Etihad Stadium, which is uh, Manchester City's grounds. They're the uh, English champions at the moment. Hopefully soon to be dethroned by Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a conversation to have right now. <laughs> so, yeah, so these are not small football pitches. It's not like five side. These are serious, you know, FIFA-endorsed pitch size regulations that are typical of the English Premier League. So 8.4 million of them mm. is basically what has been deforested in the Amazon over the last decade. So I think that's a scary statistic and hopefully puts that subject 
um, into a you know a frame that makes it more easily uh, easy for people to identify with. So that's the international statistic of the decade, and the UK statistic of the decade is 0.3%, and that is the estimated average increase in UK productivity in the decade or so since the financial crash, uh, and that figure is about one seventh of the previous. Uh, trend of UK productivity growth. So it does show you uh, how UK productivity has been very stagnant basically over the last decade. And then as we say in the press release, I think a lot of things would be very, very different if UK productivity had stayed on its previous trend rather than had the sort of big plateauing that it actually has had over the last 10 years. The UK statistics for this year and for the decade both um depressing, is that the right word, are not super encouraging. I mean, on the one hand, you have the fact that there's um, this high level of, of working poverty in the UK, and then this statistic of the decade is the fact that productivity has not increased. It sort of paints this kind of bleak picture about what's happening in the United Kingdom. Uh, yeah, it's not uh, not great, I grant you. But really, really, what we try and do uh, when we put out uh, our statistics of the year and now the statistics of the decade as well, we do try and make sure there's a, a broad spread. We don't want to have nothing but uh, statistics that are going to leave everyone sort of fundamentally depressed. So if right. you look at the <laughs> commenters as a whole, uh, we try and strike a, a good balance, both in terms of the subjects that we cover, uh, but also between you know positive developments and ones that are a bit more sort of negative or regrettable. So I think if you look at the uh, look at everything in the round, I hope it's a reasonable balance of positives and negatives, and a good spread of subjects. You know, um, environmental, economic, social, and so on. So, although there are, there are a lot few Jaffa cakes in this year's. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm very, very pleased that you obviously uh, picked up on the, the shrinkflation one for the last year. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I enjoy Java cake, so that stuck out to me. <laughs> we, we did actually have a couple of very strong, I thought very strong contenders uh, on shrinkflation. So uh, what happened to Jaffa cakes basically has happened to uh, tins of Quality Street, if you know what I'm talking about there. Quality yeah. Street sweets, which are quite a uh, sort of favoured gift at Christmas. They basically have... Those tins have basically shrunk about uh, by nearly 50% over the last 10 years in terms of their content. Wow. And uh, Hobnob biscuits, if that's something oh, you're familiar yes, with. Yes, I am familiar with Hobnobs. Yeah, <laughs> a scandalous uh, 20% <laughs> in relation to Hobnobs. So uh, shrinkflation did sort of get considered, but ultimately uh, didn't make the cut for two years in a row, I'm afraid. So I thought some of the commended uh, entries were, were pretty interesting as well, both, both for, for the UK and internationally. Would you like to tell us about those as well? Um, yeah, certainly. So if we look at some of the if we look at the UK commended statistics, uh, there's one very positive one, just to counteract the one about uh, UK productivity. And this one is, the, the figure is 30.6%. And that's because women now hold 30.6% of all board positions in the UK's 350 biggest listed companies. And that was included because uh, there was a, a major, major change over the decade concerned. So that is more than three times the uh, proportion that we had in early 2011, when the figure was just 9.5%. So the 30% threshold has been passed this, this year. And we think that's uh, a really encouraging trend um, because there was an organization called the 30% uh, Club set up about 10 years ago. And you know, effectively, it has achieved what its uh, original objective was, was to, which was to make sure that women hold more than 30% of board positions in the UK. 
there's obviously further progress to be made, uh, but we think that is an important landmark that has been published this year, and the 30% Club has achieved the objective that is you know, inherent in its name. So we think that's a, a positive uh, statistic as one of our commendeds. Um, there's a, the, the second UK commended one is about the number of young adults uh, who live with their parents still. And I don't know whether this is something that applies in other countries as well, but we have this yes. phenomenon. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The, the boomerang generation where kids leave, leave home, leave the, the family home to go off to college or university or whatever. And then after a number of years, return home because they're struggling to afford rent or they mm -hmm. save up a bigger amount than before to, to get the deposit they need for a home of their own. So you have the boomerang generation going back to, to live with, uh, with you know, mum and dad. So the, the figure that we've announced today uh, relates to the, the number of young adults who are now living back with their parents compared to the comparable figure from 10 years ago. This one of the commended statistics for the international sort of scope is related to the number of SUVs that are on the road. Could you talk a bit about that one? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really interesting figure because um, certainly in terms of the statistics of the year, there was a UK commended statistic talking about how electric vehicles and hybrid vehicles have come much more into the UK mainstream. I'm sure that the same is true in other countries as well. Um, but the figure about SUVs is interesting, I think, because it shows that all the benefits that are coming about through more people having electric cars and more people having hybrid cars, all those environmental benefits are actually being uh, massively outweighed by the huge increase in the number of people who've moved from standard type cars to sports utility vehicles over the last 10 years. Uh, so the International Energy Agency did some work on this and they've calculated that the number of SUVs worldwide has increased by 165 million over the last 10 years. And as we know, SUVs uh, tend to have uh, higher emissions than standard cars because they're you know, bigger, bulkier, less aerodynamic and mm -hmm. so on. Uh, so the progress that's been made through hybrids and electric vehicles is sadly being more than offset by the, the massive spike in SUVs around the world over the last 10 years. And yet, I think in this year's statistics, there has been an increase in hybrids, right? 10% 10, 10 you broke that fresh threshold for the first time? That's right, yeah. Do we know how many of those hybrids are SUV hybrids? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, some SUVs obviously are hybrids or even electric, but the vast, vast majority aren't. Yes. And as I said, I think the, uh, the problem with SUVs, and you know, I hold my hands up here um, for various reasons we needed to, to get one a, a few years ago. Uh, they, <laughs> they do consume more petrol and they chuck out more emissions than conventional vehicles. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and it's a, it is a genuinely sort of worldwide phenomenon, 165 yes. uh, million more SUVs now than 10 years ago uh, with all the environmental consequences that you can imagine. Mm -hmm. I thought there was a there was a, also this positive, um, highly commended entry under the international stats of the decade. The, uh, mm, the that's right. It's um, it's it's nineteen percent, and that basically is the reduction in deaths from air pollution over the period. It's actually the period twenty seventeen, sorry twenty oh seven to twenty seventeen. Uh, but we've covered that in stats of the decade uh, because the figures themselves have only come out comparatively recently. So that covers the most recent 10-year period that is available to us. Um, so that's obviously a welcome statistic, and I think, again, it's one of those counterintuitive ones. I think a lot of people would say that um, air pollution is overall getting worse. There's certainly been a huge amount of coverage in the UK about 
air pollution in our biggest towns and cities, especially in London. Um, but overall, around the world, the number of deaths uh, being caused by air pollution has actually fallen fairly markedly over the, uh, over the last 10 years. Well, Ian, that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.